0: Welcome to the Salty Sister Show. I'm Mackenzie. And I'm Sage. And we're your magical sisters. Thank you for joining <laughs> us on our sequel episode where Sage will tell us about her journey into a career, into the working world, how she ended up doing what it is she does. I won't, I don't want to give away the ending, so I'll let her <laughs> take it from here. But it's going to be like 17 years of fun for everybody.
1: Excellent. Cool. So super psyched to share my um, career journey with you. I think Ken's and I have decided to call it more of a journey. um, And you'll find out why here in a little bit. But I I have literally um, tasted the entire rainbow
0: of careers. Hashtag not sponsored.
1: Um, (laughs) yeah, I've just I've done a lot. And I think that It's really cool because Mackenzie and I could literally not be more polar opposite when it comes to career paths and choices. So let me just start by saying that, like, growing up, when people would ask you what you want to be when you're older, I used to get, like, I would just get so mad because I think that that question sucks. Um, It is stupid. It's stupid. And it just pigeonholes you into one track mind thinking for the rest of your life about jobs, about work. Um, And especially as a female, people love to ask you that question and then turn around and be like, well, good luck doing that since you're a girl, you know? And
0: it's just like, well,
1: fuck you, you know? Like, I
0: will do what I want to (laughs) do. And who the fuck knows when they're like 12, 13, 14, 42, who knows? What a dumb question. Stop asking people that.
1: So growing up in school, I was never very studious. I didn't really enjoy school. I actually really, um, I really actually struggled a lot in school. And I think Mackenzie, um, she's nodding pretty vigorously right now. I just, I I struggled with the learning um, structure. And I think that it was just never fostered for me, like a way that I could learn. And that was like more engaging for me. Um, So I really had a hard time. I was also a tomboy, you know, and so I just like, I didn't fit social norms very well. I didn't fit gender norms very well. And I was always just kind of like, I just never really fit in very well. Um, I grew up in locked Colorado. And the one thing I wanted to be the most was a marine biologist. (laughs) You did. (laughs)
0: You always did.
1: Yeah. And, you know, science was just not something that was fostered for me growing up. And so I think I lost interest because I struggled so hard with math, chemistry, technical stuff like that. Like I just really had a hard time. I Um, think the only
0: class you actually liked from memory was zoology. Yeah. And that's because you got to dissect out a baby shark. Do you remember that? It was like the highlight of your your high school career.
1: (laughs) It probably was like the whole highlight of all my school, you know. So... In high school, they, when you're a junior, I don't know for everyone, but where we went to school um, at Middle Park, shout out Middle Park High School. (laughs) Anyways, where we, we'll just cut that, where we went to school (laughs) in Winter Park, um, they had like a mandatory class for juniors where you learned how to apply to college. Like, it was a mandatory class that you took, um, and I think that I might be the only one in my family who didn't actually apply to college during that class or give a shit. um, The mere fact that they tried to sit me down and make me apply to college was their biggest mistake. Like I just had no interest. So
0: yeah, I think if you aren't privileged enough to know Sage is one of the most stubborn people (laughs) you'll ever meet. And if you tell her like, you need to turn left at the next intersection. She'll make sure she turns right. <laughs> <laughs> She's very stubborn. She's very like strong willed. I can imagine something like that didn't sit well with you. Yeah, it didn't. And so kind of the
1: compromise I meet, I reached with mom and dad was I would go to YWAM Bible College instead of going to college because I just refused. The biggest reason I agreed to that was because it was in Hawaii (laughs) Um, when I was 18 I went to Bible college or Bible school I don't know in Hawaii and then when I came back from that I decided I was ready to go to college because I actually wanted to work with Doctors Without Borders and that's the reason I ended up going to college and I started yeah and I (laughs) yeah and I chose like I sat down with the advisor and I chose like a pre-med track um, for real And that was my goal until I got into the same situation of like, oh, I really struggle with math and chemistry and science, you know, like I, I was going to like extra tutoring sessions all the time. And I was just like, I, I'm so far behind at this point. Like, I just didn't know how to do it. Like I didn't, um, like learning for me is something I've had to like teach myself to do way more in like recent years than I ever have. Like I've always struggled with just like basic intake of knowledge. It's very interesting.
0: You know, what's interesting is I don't think it's actually that you struggle with the intake of knowledge. I think that your learning style was not being taught to mm. um, like learning styles are so important, but because yeah. of lack of funding schools only really teach in one, one dimensional way mm-hmm. and it's really hard. So I'm, I'm sorry that happened. Yeah I, mean, yeah, I think I'm definitely a product of that.
1: Um, so I'm in pre-med. <laughs> I'm going to school in Durango, Colorado. Um, and I decided I just can't hang. And so I, on a whim, I changed my degree to world history because it interested me. That was that, right? Like I just became a history major. And during that time, I um, joined the Fort Lewis bike team because our older brother was also at that school and he was on the team. And, you know, it seemed like a lot of fun, a lot of like going to mountain bike races, going to parties.
0: Um, So I joined the bike team. Prior to that point, Sage, had you ever done any biking? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we grew up mountain biking. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about our mountain bike history? A cool backstory for Mackenzie and I. No, <laughs>
1: just a cool, just just a backstory <laughs> is um, our dad was actually a air quotes professional mountain bike racer. <laughs> when we were really young, um, that was like something we did on weekends. We would all get dragged to all kinds of bike races all over, mostly Colorado,
0: but you know sometimes Utah and other yeah, places. Yeah, it was mostly me being dragged while Cody and Sage raced.
1: Ugh. Eventually, yeah, eventually we, you know, did like kids races. Um, so we've always been around mountain bikes. My dad um, had a bike shop at you know one point in our childhood, as as well as the coffee shop. So um, you know we we have always been around mountain biking. Um, it's a huge rite of passage in our family. Um, Mackenzie has always really disliked it. She has never once sought, you know, to s- simply go for a mountain bike ride.
0: <laughs> yeah, but this story is not about me. So keep going.
1: The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that being said, I grew up around mountain bikes. I knew how to mountain bike. Um, but I also like, didn't really love sports. For much of, like, middle school, I was very, you know, I was a little bit chunky. And so, you know, I I didn't love wearing spandex or going to, like, bike races. It just wasn't a good look for me. It just didn't feel right. Um, when I got up, like, so when I started on the bike team in college, up until that point, I really hadn't done it very seriously. Like, I didn't train. Um, you know, I didn't, like, keep track of miles or, you know, like... I I hardly had like matching outfit to ride in. I just did my own thing. And um, yeah, I started going to these like collegiate bike races with the bike team, doing really well, you know, just having like a lot of fun and and kind of realizing like, oh, I, you know, like this is like a real skill set I have. Um, And so I I started like doing cross discipline. So like my first year I won in the downhill discipline for like national championships and then the next year i came back and i was like well i'm gonna like do that so like i won that again and then it's like okay i'm gonna do cross country racing and then i won that and then you know i was winning in these cross disciplines and i was actually doing like road racing too eventually and i was doing really well in that and i did really good and um i think to this day like i still hold one of the records for the most titles ever won
0: um, you
1: do <laughs> Like
0: I'm not sure who else like I mean that's amazing. First yeah, of all. there's thank you.
1: Um
0: wow, I mean I feel like I'm meeting you for the first time. This is well, so great.
1: <laughs> it's just not something I talk about and it's not something that's ever been formally recognized. Like I was named to the centennial team and you know, as like an honored, you know, some famous people, but I was never given full ride scholarship right? Like I had to fight every semester to get like a $1,000 maybe for school. So even though I during my time at that college, I had the most titles by far of anyone. Well, you're disposable still, you know, like, it's that thing where you like you were saying, Kenzie, like, you're just you're lucky to be in the
0: room. Well, this is bullshit. And we should call them and they should give you some back pay. <laughs> I'm serious. Before my senior year of college, I went out randomly
1: to um, This was not a collegiate bike race. I went to the national championships. Um, Actually, they were held in Winter Park that year. Um, And that's like nationwide. uh, The athletes come to race and compete for a spot at the world championships. It's exactly what it sounds like. National. So I went to that and I raced and I won it. And then so what happens then is you get a free trip (laughs) and like don't be fooled like nobody had really heard of me they were just kind of like oh who's sage like she just like won this you know race and so then I was on the team USA like overnight there's you know there was girls and women who had been training and racing all over Europe and all over the United States to try to get this chance to go to the world championships and I just kind of like came in and won it you know and I actually felt kind of bad because I was like oh I haven't done
0: any of these other races or these camps yeah Um, and so I'm just for people who aren't so like versed in in that speak can you just explain to them what team USA is
1: team USA is when compete in at the national level you win and then you go to the world championship race and you represent the United States of America as a team so it's like a lot of the same people you would see in the olympics competing for team usa At like you know in the london olympics there was a lot of the people
0: that i met you know competing yeah so it's like a basically a a stepping stone for the olympic team yeah Um, like in order to be on an, an olympic team you typically are on team usa first um that's how our country runs its olympic program Totally. So Sage was a shoe-in for the Olympics, which is so, so badass. (laughs) Everyone round of applause for Sage. Well done.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Ken. That that means a lot coming from you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I just kind of accidentally ended up there. Um, I didn't have a good race at that world championship. I had a horrible asthma attack, which I do. I have chronic asthma. Um, And it was actually really bad. So that was not the best experience. However, it was a really cool thing that propelled me into a full-on professional racing career. And I was still in college. By the end of that year, I had signed a contract
0: um, to race for a team, you know. Did you negotiate that contract, just out of curiosity?
1: No. um, In fact, I was like an add-on because someone very prominent in the community like we like ran into each other at the uh at carver's the local bar <laughs> and you know we just had a beer together started talking and he just turned to me and he's this guy is like a legend i mean he's been to the olympics he's an amazing athlete um, and he's just really friendly and he just said sage i've just been following you and i you know i've been following your career you're racing and we really want you to, you know, be on this team. It's a, like a, a new development team we're doing and um, the spots are full, but I will just send a message right now and uh, it's yours. Yeah, that happened. Um, everybody was really resistant to me actually signing on. I, I went to like a meeting in a room filled with old, middle-aged white men who basically told me I didn't want it bad enough to be there. And wow. There wasn't a lot of negotiating, you know, again, they made it pretty clear I was lucky to be in the room. Yeah, so that was a good first experience in, you know, sexism of cycling, Um, had a lot of negative experiences with that throughout that time, right? Like, so basically, I continued to race um, professionally, until I was 24.
0: Just like a sidebar, I cannot wait until we flip that fucking script. And instead of letting them say you're lucky to be in this room, we flip it back on them and say, you're lucky I'm in this fucking room. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so she was racing (laughs) until she was 24.
1: Yeah, I was racing. um, And, you know, like, I didn't make a lot of money. So I was also working. Um, During my last year of college, I actually worked two jobs. I worked at a coffee shop in the mornings. I went to class slash trained in the afternoons. And then I went to a burrito shop and closed it down at night. And I did that five days a week unless I was racing. And then it was like four days, three days of travel back the next morning at the coffee shop. I was just putting myself in the ground, you know, just um, struggling through it, figuring it out. Um, Yeah. And just, I don't know, had a lot of really interesting, you know, like really good and also really negative experiences in that whole realm. And I think ultimately, I decided to walk away, A, because I wasn't making any money. (laughs) Yeah. And I just I didn't feel like I could keep doing what I was doing. Um, And then B, like also, my asthma had gotten to the point where I was hospitalized a few times um, at races, because I would push myself to, you know, a point where I had to go to the hospital and get treatments. Um, And I had, you know, Taylor and I, Taylor's my husband now, um, had just started dating in the summer when I was 24. Um, (laughs) I wanted to have kids with him, and I wanted to be able to be healthy to do that and to be alive to do that. And so I just kind of realized, like, You know, if I want to be a mom who can chase her kids around and not be sick all the time, I'm going to have to give this up. So I did. And it was pretty easy for me to do that. It was time. It's just a weird – it's like one of those, like, subcultures of a subculture, you know? It's just so interesting and bizarre, and there's just, like, this whole – Sub world
0: of mountain bike racers, you know, it's just like it's super weird, you guys. Like, it's there's like these little pockets of famous people within the racing community. It's like they ride bikes, like, calm the fuck down, first of all. <laughs> You're not special, yeah, but they all, yeah, think they're, they are. And I can say that because I did water bottle feeds, so <laughs> I've met most of them. They're not special, <laughs> they're all snot nosed by the time they get to the finish line, is disgusting. Yeah, It's weird, I, weird culture. <laughs>
1: and I, I will share this story because I think this is what changed my mind about, like, really wanting to do it. Um, right before Taylor and I started dating, I was it was July, and I was actually in Idaho at a big national race, and it was an Olympic year. Um, so I was racing with all of the really, like, big hitters. They're so fast. We're in the first lap of this race and it's just hot as shit out and I'm going up this climb and I'm in the, you know, the huge group and it's just like dusty and hot and gross and and they're going so hard. I'm just like, I'm going to die. And I, I hear like commotion up ahead in the, you know, pack, it's what we call it, the group of women ahead of me. Um, And as I get closer, I see actually a friend of mine who I went to college with in Durango, unconscious on the side of the trail Seriously? uh, Yeah. And I was just watching because I'm like pretty far back in the pack and I'm just watching these women pass this unconscious person (laughs) because it's a national event and they want to go to the Olympics. So they're just they just left her. And so I got to her and I just jumped off my bike and I just grabbed her head and I was cradling her and she like came to and there was like some spectators and I like called him over and I was like, Oh my God, like pour some water on her face. And then pretty soon there was like a med, um, med bike came up and, and he's like, I got it. You know, you can keep racing. I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty like shooken up. I, I think I want to like stay with her. He's like, no, just go. And, and she had like kind of come to you, and she was like, Oh my God, like Sage, where am I? What's going, you know, it was really scary. And,
0: That's um, terrible. By
1: the, yeah. By that time, you know, I, I, continued racing but I was so far back that you know I got pulled but I think that moment for me just said everything I needed to know I just watched all those women ride by her and she could have been dead like you you know like she
0: she was unconscious like what the hell you know you don't just leave somebody I think um people who maybe have never been around professional athletes like our family has been around professional athletes basically our whole lives and they are so singularly focused yeah on on that goal and that race and the training that they're like fucking crazed it's I'm so, yeah I first of all I'm so sorry that like nobody stopped besides you good on you for for doing the yeah. right thing yeah thanks and I'm glad yeah. she's okay but holy cow that changed something to me you know
1: and I just after that race I just couldn't I didn't love it the same And I was just kind of feeling ready to walk away. And then, you know, Taylor and I started dating. And I was like, yeah, I don't need any more reason.
0: Our parents didn't take it very well when she quit. She was like currently the shining star of the family because she was was the shoe-in for the Olympics. And that's all they talked about. And it was a dinner to remember.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I understand. They had a lot invested into it, you know, personally. And I don't know. I'm actually really proud of myself at that moment for knowing that it didn't serve me anymore. And I think that that's going to be a real theme. Um, is that, and you like as you come to know me, that if something is not serving me anymore, I'm going to absolutely put that shit to rest, and I will do it so well and so fast. <laughs> Yes, it is one of
0: the strongest things you could learn from Sage Anderson. If something is not serving you, you walk away. I learned that from her. I have not perfected it like her, but she's so good at it. It's amazing. After racing,
1: Taylor and I, right, we worked at a burrito shop together, and we just had, like, the best year of our lives, just falling in love. We dated for eight months, got engaged, married, um four months later. So like it was like a year and we were married. Three months after that, we <laughs> signed the lease for a coffee shop right next to the burrito shop where we had worked together forever. And um so it was really cool and also really, really crazy. Growing up in one, I just loved it. I loved the feeling of it. You know, I loved roasting coffee. And I just wanted to do it, but I had some different ideas in my head of how it would be, you know, I just, I could see in my mind just like this beautiful coffee shop that just was like so warm and inviting and friendly and people loved to just come and hang out. And it was just like not pretentious and um, yeah, just everything we love in a space. So I had been kind of writing this business plan on just like a huge piece of paper that was just like stained with coffee and beer and Food. <laughs> and I just had like ideas on this huge piece of paper about what I wanted it to be and I did that for like two years um you know manifest kind of,
0: it manifest <laughs> yeah and I
1: I didn't really know if it would ever happen, you know I kind of looked at different spaces kind of like talked with my dad about it you know nothing really came to fruition until the day before our wedding uh we got the lead on a space and we kind of like we're like, cool, we're gonna get married, you know, then we'll figure this out. Three months after we got married, we signed the lease. (laughs) And Taylor, you know, like, he had a job at the time. And he just was like, okay, I'm like, I remember the day we signed it. He's like, okay, I'm done. And we're gonna just like do this business. And I was like, are you sure you even want to do like, be like, have a coffee shop? And he was like, You can teach me about it, right? Like, you know, it's very fortunate for me that Taylor was a business finance major. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we were able to get the funding through family. Not a lot of funding, but just enough to do it. And we built the whole place ourselves. We taught ourselves everything we needed to know.
0: Yeah, the space before had been a hair salon. And so Sage (laughs) had to like scrape hair off the walls and like clean it. So they basically gutted this whole place and did a build out from scratch. Remodeling the bathrooms. It had like hanging tile ceilings. And I decided that I just wanted to rip
1: that shit out because it was ugly and smelled. And so I was standing on the toilet, like ripping down tiles, and I ripped one and a syringe fell like right <gasps> next to me out of the ceiling. Oh my god. <laughs> basically three months after we signed the lease, we opened the doors. We just used used equipment kind of made it work we didn't get paid for like three four months I don't know we were living on like tip money we were just working like 60 hours a week just in it like small business Mm -hmm. it was definitely like that thing overnight where it's like I understood my dream but then once I was like in it we have like employees that we have to like teach and lead you know and we have customers and we have have systems and there was like so much more at play and I think um it was a really big learning curve for us for sure especially being like newlyweds also we were like 25 it was like such a beautiful thing that we built together we worked our asses off Mackenzie probably hardly heard from me for like two years.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I would call Sage and no matter like what time of day it was, she was always trying to perfect something in the shop. So like, she didn't buy chocolate syrup. She made it from scratch. She didn't buy vanilla syrup. She made it from scratch. Like <laughs> it was, she was like a woman possessed, but it was, <laughs> it was really beautiful to see her dreams come to fruition in that, that form. But Holy shit, does she... I mean, she made, like, oat milk from scratch, you guys. It was amazing. And it was successful. Yeah. It was yeah. really successful. It took off. Yeah, we were, like, way busier
1: than we thought, um, you know. And it was... Yeah, it, I, I struggled to describe it because it just was, like, this really difficult but really magical time for Taylor and I. Um You know, owning a business with your spouse is really hard. Uh, It requires so much communication. It requires all of you to, like, (laughs) be on the same page, you know. And Taylor managed all of our finances while I'm very much, like, I still am. I'm just, like, such a dreamer, visionary, slash, like, I will just execute the damn thing. Have a plan and do the plan. And Taylor was, like, always the one that's, like, okay, well, we don't have money for the plan, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So we need to, like, back up. We ended up buying ourselves like the top of the line $20,000 espresso machine with cash. It's crazy because we got like five years in. By this time, we had our son. Once we had him, one of us worked, one of us was home with him. One of us worked, one of us was home. And we did this like every day, all week long. And we would try to take like two days off in a row together as a family. But it was hard. And every time we were together, we had to talk about all the shit going on at the coffee shop. And it just really got to a point where like I wanted, yeah, he was exhausted and he was stressed. Managing people just like really wears on you. Leadership, um, knowledge, like background knowledge to fall on. Or if you don't have like mentors who are like walking you through it, it's really yeah, hard.
0: To... I can only imagine. I mean, I don't manage people, thank God, but I can imagine it's quite tricky.
1: Yeah, you're just never prepared for, you know, things that come up especially your spouse business partner it's just it's really messy that's really the point like we looked at each other and said we weren't happy and it was like one of the most heart-wrenching difficult decisions we ever made but we decided to sell it and we also decided we were ready to move away from Durango um, and just start over like we just wanted to be married and be parents you know and not have this like looming stress of coffee shop you know like just we didn't know how to be married without it and um I don't think anyone especially the people that worked for us at the time we decided to sell I don't think they understood that or they I don't think they could try to understand where we were coming from so selling it was like a really difficult time like we weren't able to sell to who we wanted to things got pretty ugly and I we made it out
0: like right before
1: COVID hit in 2020.
0: I loved that time for you because every weekend they would come see me in Denver because they were so stressed out and so they would do like little getaways and I got to see my nephew and go eat tacos with my sister like every weekend. (laughs) It was the best. (laughs) Yeah we were yeah
1: selling a business is really hard um and I will absolutely answer any and all questions because um, it's a really it's a hard thing to do. You when you're young, you're tired and stressed. It's hard to manage the sale of something that big. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we sold it. And the really cool thing about us selling it was Taylor was. He's so good with finances. I I love this about him to like chunk away at all the debt we had because I just didn't like having it. And I think maybe in my heart, I knew we just needed to be debt free in case we needed to like get out. Right. So when we sold the business, we were 100% debt free and we had been for quite some time. And so that's just like cash monies, you know, and that for me, like was the biggest and coolest thing ever. Just because it's like, we don't owe anyone anything. And yeah. we earned that shit for ourselves. We yes. did that for ourselves. Um, and it's just awesome, you know. Uh, it's given us so much freedom. And that that financial freedom has literally allowed Taylor and I both to take the time we need. Like, since selling the business, right? It's been like over three years now. Um,
0: to just like dabble and to figure it out. Yeah. And we'll talk more in depth about how both Sage and I are financially independent, and we neither one of us carry debt. And we both did it differently. We'll talk about that in a separate episode because it deserves it. We would love to see everyone in our lives debt free. <laughs> yeah. And fuck totally. Dave Wieremzy. Anyways, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so <laughs> you're debt free. You sold your we're, business.
1: Yeah, we're debt free. Um, at that point, no plans really, but I started to dabble in beer, uh, beer making. So I just went ahead <clears throat> went ahead and bought myself like the top of the line beer making equipment <laughs> because I just wanted to learn and I read some books and I literally taught myself how to brew beer, not like powdered, like you throw some like powdered shit in a jar and then add yeast and shake it up. I had like the grain and the hops and I was doing like these full... All-grain batches, is what it's called, um, which is, like, the most technical and hardest way to brew beer. Yeah, a I lot of science. I just went for it. Yeah. So much science. So meticulous. And it's, like, actually, it's the same mindset I used, like, when I approached, like, coffee roasting. Yeah, I am. I'm very, actually, science-minded. I just have never been allowed to um, have a damn voice in it, right? Like, even a lot of the males in the coffee industry, even males who worked for me, would always put me down and make me feel less than... Or, like, I didn't know as much. Or, like, what I was saying wasn't valid because I was a woman. And that was a constant theme for me. So I taught myself to brew beer to show myself that I was valued. And to show myself that I was absolutely capable. Um, So, yeah, I got a job beer tending um, in Denver. Eventually, we wound up living in Denver for a little bit. Um, And then I worked my way from a beer tender there to assistant brewer so I was actually like brewing these big batches of beer um, it was just an incredible experience unfortunately I was like laid off from that job much too soon in my opinion but you know when the finances aren't stable you can't fight it so <laughs> and since then I beer tended a little more and then I actually just decided to become a graphic designer for myself and
0: although we were planning to open our own brewery yeah uh... And we were pretty all in over that. And we named it the Salty Sisters Brewing, which is where we got the name for our podcast. And ultimately, we decided not to go forward with it because it wasn't the lifestyle the four of us ultimately wanted. To own a brewery is long hours. It's stressful. It's late nights. I I don't think we were up for it, Mm -hmm. ultimately. So we put that dream on hold.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I... I still brew to this day, right like I love it and it's it's something that I actually use um, to help me manage my depression so I actually also struggle with really bad depression and I have my whole life but it's something I'm I'm just more recently like acknowledging and um, trying to deal with um, so yeah it's it's a tool that I use to help me just stay above water right and to just like, physically give me something to do um like a, a task to accomplish when I'm going through feelings or fighting feelings of depression so yeah I I brew pretty much like twice a month and uh, that's about accurate for like how often I need to do it um for like mental health and yeah so it's really been cool for me but yeah now so now I'm doing graphic design it's literally been so cool because um again it's like one of those things where I have a very artistic and creative side to me, but I, it wasn't fostered much. And I have like, since, you know, like this last year, I spent a lot of time um, doing like online courses for graphic design theory. And then also I've been actually taking like sketching courses and I'm learning to draw, like really draw. It's just been really cool to see what
0: I'm capable of when I put my mind to it it's pretty cool to watch. I've really been enjoying watching, um, you know, those like little things that you make of your full sketches coming to fruition. Those are so cool. Thank you. It's been really
1: empowering. And it's the coolest job, I think ever, because I get to set my own prices. And um, I've already had like two clients. And I don't know, there's just something really fulfilling about just like, billing someone and getting paid for your work like work you created like it's all out of my head and you know like from my hands and it's just the coolest thing in the world like I love it yeah so that's kind of I don't know I I don't know if I call it career path because it's just such a crazy journey I'm just like such a dreamer of a person that you know if you're like that I just want to encourage you to like keep going and maybe like, you know, maybe you're working in a job that isn't fulfilling you, maybe you need to make a change, or you've been thinking about a change, or you, you just keep thinking about that business you want to start. Like, I, I think I'm the person that's here to tell you, you just got to fucking do it. Taylor and I, these last three years have had a lot of ups and downs. And we did in the shop too. Like, we never knew if we were going to make it financially, right? Like, But I knew I was there every day pouring coffee for people. And that's what I wanted to do. And now, you know, I'm here, I'm a graphic designer, right? Like I have my own whole business and I'm getting paid to do that. And that is available to you as well if that's what you need
0: for sure. Yeah, really well said. So is there any additional advice you would have given yourself, your younger self, (laughs) your future self? (laughs) No, I mean,
1: I think I always just went for it. I don't think I would ever change that. I think the thing that I would change is maybe trying to... Like, since selling the business, I think I've done a lot of self-reflection. And I've done so much just, like, personal growth. Um, Like, when we owned the business, I had no time to care for my mental health. Um, I was not valued, right? Like, by... Staff, like you know, and that's a really hard thing when you are an owner, especially if you're a female owner, right? like if you're driven and if you want things, then you're a bitch, and people just give you shit all the time, and I think that that really like wore me down, um, yeah because I was unapologetic about it, you know, it's just like this is what I want, and it's my business, so I'm gonna do it, and I think it like could have helped me to try to understand, like, leadership more and try to just get, like, a better gauge of where I was at personally, but I also, like, wasn't being supported in my own business or my own workplace, and that was really, like, that made it really difficult for me to thrive. Yeah, so just go for it, you know? I mean, this is, like, the biggest thing for me with this podcast. The biggest thing I want out of any job or career I do is to feel valued. I want to feel appreciated, and I want to feel seen, right? And I got to tell you, I have not felt that yet, except for when I work for myself <laughs> as a graphic designer, you know? And so like if you're in that space where you're just really needing somebody to validate you, would you please just like reach out to us? Emails going to be in the show notes because I want to be able
0: to validate you. And I'm telling I want you, to be able to you, biggest cheerleaders you could yeah. ever want right here. Yeah. Because that's that's a big cornerstone of sisterhood is that you listen to people and you cheer them on in ways that they need. And that's one thing Kinsey and I have done for each other since I started the coffee
1: shop and since she really started um, working in corporate America is we talk to each other about our days and, you know, we just like hear each other. And we support each other. And when I'm upset about something, she doesn't tell me what she thinks. She just tells me, man, that really sucks. You know, I understand why you feel that way.
0: And that's really helpful. Really great, powerful story. Thanks. I think your story is so cool because it's a version of the American dream. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, all that nonsense. It's really cool. There's like a
1: running joke, right? That they talk about me, like my friends from Durango, and they're like, oh, what's Sage doing? Like, oh my God, she's doing what now? She's like a graphic designer now? Like, I thought she was a brewer. I thought she was like, she did coffee, you know? And it's just, it's so funny because I literally am not done yet, right? Like, I will keep going. (laughs) That's the thing, like, you don't
0: need to be singularly faceted, for God's Mm -hmm. sakes. Like, women, people, everybody should be allowed to be multiple things. Yeah,
1: absolutely. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you all so much for, uh, listening in and i hope that you at least are able to walk away um with a smile on your face hey okay, bye bye